this is like the theme of sort of what we talk about is, you know, how many times have we done everything in these big grand stages where we want to see results within, you know, the next day or even the next week or whatever it is. And that those little baby steps are so crucial in trying to get to your destination. I know. I, that's like an epiphany I had several months ago, but it, what, how it came to me was like, stop trying to become a different person overnight. And like, that's the same thing because that's what I did. Like, and then this is how I describe them. Like every night before I go to bed, I would set my alarm for 5.30 AM and I would say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to work out. I'm going to do my makeup and I'm going to cook breakfast and prepare my lunch and get to work on time. And like, that's a freaking sick joke. (laughs) It is. That was that huge step that you can't get to. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I think that's what I was talking about last week. Whenever I, I said, you know, I just started so small. I was just trying to build you know, this healthy relationship with food first. And then, you know, I feel like I got that down. I didn't talk about all of this, but that was what I did. And then I started incorporating, you know, activity and um, being able to be more strict and say no. And, you know, it was a process. It, it's been now almost three years and um, it feels like all those baby steps were worth it. Oh, hell yeah. There's a woman in the private community. She calls it gradients. And I yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah. And I love using that. Or like, what's the one thing, like the one thing that you know that you can do every day, like you for sure can do it. And it can be, and I love how you say like just baby steps, like it could literally be committing to drinking a glass of water as soon as you wake up every morning. Yeah. And you know, I think along this journey, I'd always heard, I was thinking about this yesterday. I've always heard all of these like little simple tips mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, yeah, that's not gonna, like, I'm going to sit here and eat my food slow and I'm going to chew up my bites really well or eat small bites or whatever. Um, I do that now. Just, I just started doing it because it just felt right. And it does benefit me. And I'm like, when I, and now I know if I'm taking like big bites of food, I'm like, wait a second, what am I doing here? Yeah. And I just reevaluate. I start cutting up my food smaller. It takes me longer. And then I don't even finish my meal. And I'm like, I did that this morning for breakfast. And I'm like, it's just so cool to be able to do that now where before I would eat small bites or pay yeah. attention, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. I'm Especially gonna... it's so important for all the moms too, because it's like, we spend so much energy preparing our kids breakfast or lunch that we just scarf it down real quick, standing yeah. up. That's something yeah. I've done. It's like, no, I'm going to sit down and eat my food. And my son wants me to. Yeah. yeah. Like he wants me to sit and have a meal with him or whatever. And that is important, but yeah, you're right. You're just so busy. And you're like, and I've never, we've never ate the same food either, hmm. which that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother like topic. I, I had to, I was like buying him food that I knew I wouldn't eat. Hmm. And I was like limiting what he could have. 
because I was like, if I buy that for him, I'm going to eat it. Mm. Mm. And I realized this last year and I was like, wow, that's, I mean, I was I'm feeding him healthy, but I'm still not allowing him to have some like kid things. Cause I'm like, I'm going to eat that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, that was my motivation unconsciously. Yeah. And I didn't even know until one day, I don't know, it just came to me. And I was like, I've got to change this and change this into a healthier, I don't know, perspective of, of how I'm feeding my child different than I'm eating because he's picky. That's why. Um, but it's just, it's hard figuring out all the pieces, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. Cause it's such a complex thing, you know, food addiction. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that Yeah. today. We're going to talk about what is food and I'm going to be, well, Sammy is going to be like the, the one sharing most of the information. It is going to be a conversation, but she's going to share from the perspective of someone who is about to graduate with a degree in psychology and who specializes in addiction. So I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. And I have a lot of questions or a couple of questions to ask, but um, today we're going to talk about what is food addiction, because this is not a normal thing that we hear as something real. It's often questioned of, is it real or not? And we're going to dive into what it means for us, what it means in regard to psychologically um, mentally, chemically, stuff like that. So Sammy, <laughs> what is food addiction? Let's talk about so, it. So first let's talk about just addiction. Okay. So we can be addicted to anything. Anything can become an addiction. And when we start to consider it an addiction, cause it doesn't always start out that way really it just starts out as like a behavioral habit. But once those chemical reactions start to happen in our brain and that reward system starts to get created, we start to sort of escalate. And this is unconscious, like I said, towards the beginning. But once this becomes an addiction, it starts to interfere with our daily lives. So this is sort of the definition of any type of mental health condition as well. So if you believe that you're maybe OCD or whatever is as long as it's not interfering with your daily life, it's not a concern for, from a mental health standpoint. So when we're talking about addiction and specifically food addiction, we have it's a little bit more complex because we do have a chemical, you know, reaction to the food that we're consuming because it does have addictive properties that have been placed in the food that we're eating today. But we also have this behavioral addiction as well. So many of us will use food uh, to escape. And that's kind of what, how it starts. And, you know, this is going to be escaping from pain, escaping from trauma. And it can be 
you know, starting out in your childhood, not that everybody has a traumatic childhood, but this is where it gets even more complex. It's like, this is like, a, I don't know, it just gets so detailed to each individual person. And this is, I mean, this is a lot of mental health anyway, but whenever we're talking about childhood trauma that we've never addressed, everyone experiences trauma, okay? So we have childhood trauma, but then we also have a adulthood trauma. We have adolescent trauma. We experience trauma throughout our whole lives when we lose a loved one or a pet, or um, we've been in a traumatic car accident. My sister was just in, you know, her, in Hurricane Ian. She's really struggling right now. And we have these things that happen to us when, in our life. And if we're not able to address our childhood trauma, we sort of get like backlogged. And so whenever this happens, we're trying to cope with our current conditions, our current lifestyle, our current happiness or sadness or other co-occurring conditions that we typically, a lot of addicts have, whether it's depression or anxiety, like I said, OCD is another common one. We have to figure out how to handle like the current status of our life while also having all of this other baggage that we still haven't unpacked. Mm -hmm. So this is when, you know, we need to really seek pro professional help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, if, you know, if anybody is listening and you feel that this resonates with you, this is, you know, a calling that seeking professional help would probably be advised, especially if you're trying to go through this and, you know, recovering from food addiction. So many of us feel like it's a weight issue. Mm -hmm. And we sort of focus it on our weight or how we look, but this has nothing at all to do with weight. This is all to do with our mental health and how we're coping with our life. And this is what we're choosing to use to cope. Mm -hmm. So when we are only focused on the weight, we're really not going to get that far. And I know both of us have sort of said that in a roundabout way, I don't know if we've, either of us have said it directly, but once we realized that this was about, you know, our health or something else other than just what we looked like or our weight, it became so much easier, you know? I mean, yeah, so I, I Googled like, why am I so tired all the time? Or like, that's the thing I was seeking help with. Or like, why am I so depressed? And that's what led me down this path when I stopped making it about the weight. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I don't know if you can hear that motorcycle driving. It's by fine. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the um, <clears throat> weight is really just like a physiological response that we have but it's one of many, like right. you're tired all the time. I personally got to a point to where when I was binging, which I had reduced my binges pretty significantly uh, over the years. I used to binge so much. I honestly don't even know how I was able to do that, but I was getting to the point where I was getting sick 
like I would throw up and, and not, not voluntarily. It was very involuntary. I do not like to throw up. That is not something yeah. that I would ever want to resort to. Not, I mean, I admire people who can do that. Like, you know, if you do feel sick or whatever, and you can do that, I just can't do that. So anyway, I was going to bed after a binge and I would wake up and I would like have to go throw up because I would be so, I would make myself so sick. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is bad. This is my, this is my, my body, like being like, what are you doing to me? Yeah. You know? And it was a big wake up call for me. I, it was, it was scary to wake up like that um, in the middle of the night. And so understanding that these are all, you know, we, and there's so many different symptoms that we have physiologically in a, as a response to, you know, malnourishment. And that's a big one. Dehydration. We have, um, people who aren't even overweight, who still struggle with food addiction. And I'm going to kind of go into that a little bit about some like, uh, you know, the behaviors that you can associate this with, but it's not as easy to sort of fix either because this isn't something we can abstain from, which I think we talked about last week, you know, so we have to eat and how are we going to have to eat? And this is our substance, you know, that is so hard. So the foundation, like I said, I believe of, of recovery is just building that healthy relationship with your food and yourself and trying to be more mindful of where your trauma comes from. I think that's really important. That has also been part of my journey within the last three years where I said, I've really made a whole lot of progress. I, I found my root cause that I knew about, but I stuffed so far down. I was never going to admit this thing to anybody ever in my whole entire life. And I just said it out loud one day and I couldn't believe that I said it. And it was to a client. She had confided in me in something. It was a similar story. And I never admitted to this trauma that I experienced. And after I said it, it, it felt amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It feels good to talk about your trauma, but it was like a release. And then, so then it just kept coming up and then other people were talking about these things, the theme of it. And, and I was like, this is so wild. And so I just kept sort of talking about, and I was able to admit it to myself. And then I had a night where I sort of just spiritually had had this healing. And, um, from that day forward, it was like, it was like, this has been trying to come out of me sort of, I don't know if that even makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I wanted it so bad. And so it's just pretty cool that it can, you know, our bodies want to be healthy. Our bodies want to heal and that will give you, you know, signs that you need to listen to, to help you get there. Um, but being able to pay attention to what they are is, um, is important. Well, on the subject of trauma, I know we both love it's Gabar Mate. Is that how you pronounce his name or Gabar? Okay. Gabar, yeah. He um speaks about trauma and he says it's a literal wound, like yeah. an emotional wound. So if you experience physical trauma, you see like a 
or a broken bone or whatever it is. But emotional trauma, there's a wound internally, emotionally. And what I love is like, so he says it can be healed. It's a wound that can be healed. And that gives me chills when I say it, because just because these things happened to us, they happened. And like Sammy said, it doesn't have to be some like huge thing. Like I found myself comparing my trauma to other people. And I was like, it's not that big of a deal. Other people had it so much worse, whatever Mm -hmm. that silly conversation was about. Like our internal body doesn't know the difference of the severity Mm -hmm. or as a child, we, you know, we make up stories from the trauma and we aren't able to know the severity And what's, when he talks about it, it's just so beautiful. Like it can be healed and it's, it's a wound and we're trying to make ourselves feel better by consuming things outside of us or becoming addicted to these things or circumstances or behaviors. And like you said, Sammy, when we expose the wound, we're able to heal the wound and it's scary. And I totally agree with you. Like seeking professional help will completely change your life. And I, talk about that all the time like go get go to therapy go whatever that looks like for you to uncover that stuff because a lot of times we don't even know what it is or we might not realize what it is and talking through it and having that help can help us figure out what it is and it doesn't take that long I don't think to actually figure out what it is uh and for me it's like a forever thing like yes there's some big events that happened but the deeper I get into my healing journey it's like I keep uncovering little things I'm like oh no wonder this is how I respond to this or whatever that looks like yeah so I was gonna bring this up later in the episode but since you bring this up um the wound so many of us when we experience a deep traumatic wound, a lot of times what it does is it sort of disconnects us from people Mm -hmm. and makes us feel bad, insecure, whatever it may be. But the root of it more times than not is going to be connection. And so we have this experience where we have this wound it's like a hole in us okay that we've that has has been created in us and we're trying to fill it with food but food isn't the piece that fits okay so it's this endless cycle of trying to fill this hole with something that's never going to fill the gaps that are in this shape, okay? And so the shape that we need is connection. So the more we're filling this hole with food, we're not allowing ourselves to fill it with connection because if anyone knows about addiction, we tend to isolate ourselves and and do the opposite of connect. So this is really important. And when we're using food as our filler, our whole filler, then that takes a lot of energy to do that. So if we're constantly doing the food, we don't have the energy 
to put in something else, which is the connection. Mm -hmm. And so we're keeping that connection from happening because we're choosing the food instead, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I've, I've heard it in the context too, like we are, and then when we can release those things, we make room yes. for new things to come in. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so that's the same with healing the trauma. Like if it's bottling up or that, that wound is just staying open and unhealed, then we're blocking out connection, like you said. So once we begin the work, the stuff that we actually need can come in. And I want you to talk about like, what does connection mean exactly? Because when I hear it, I'm like, okay, that means like, I need to hang out with people. Like what does connection mean, Sammy? So connection can be connecting with yourself, which is honestly the most important part. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of unconscious behaviors as addicts and we're not, we're not always sure why we're behaving the way that we're behaving. And so that is the first step is having a better connection and understanding of your mind, your body, the responses that it's giving you and speaking to you for you to sort of pay attention and give it what it needs. It can also be connection with your family, your immediate family. So like my son, he wants me to have a meal with him. So this was something that I struggled with before because I was terrified of carbs because I'd been on keto and I was not having a healthy relationship in this other way that I'd flipped. And he would, he eats like, he loves fruit. And I'm like, I can't have fruit. And I felt so bad because he's, I'm telling him fruit is healthy because it is. Right. And I'm terrified of it because I don't know how to eat carbs in my life. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So this was maybe a year and a half ago. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm just going to eat whole healthy food. I don't have to limit my carbs. Like I had been doing for so long. Cause I was trying to be really strict. So I, and I was avoiding him mm. by doing that, you know? So to be able to connect with him, I had to heal my unhealthy idea of what food I needed to be having in my body. And there have been times where I would rather just eat a meal and put him in front of the TV and watch a show so that I can be alone and binge, you know, mm. on whatever. So it's things like that. It's going to a family function or, or not going to a family function yeah. because it triggers you, you know, or going to a, an event with your friends where it's, it could be triggering in some sort of way, food related. And you, if you just like eliminate all the expectations of how you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be, whatever those triggers are, identifying your triggers is so extremely important. That's in a whole nother podcast, but being able to show up being late for events, because you had to go get a meal before you showed up to have a meal, you know, those types of things, like allow yourself to show up and be present without filling that hole that you feel inside on your way to your event so that you can receive the connection that you're supposed to be receiving whenever you are engaging with your friends and your family, you know? 
Yeah, what I heard there was present, like be present. Yeah. There's like as an addict, when I was like actively in that addiction of avoiding, escaping, numbing, I was never present like in any way whatsoever. So I was constantly finding a, like looking for a way to escape and being present was scary. Like I had to face all the shit in my head and you know, the fear of what people think and whatever, you know, and presence. Wow. That's a really, that's just really powerful. Like that is connection. And when I think connection to, for me, what's completely, completely changed my life over the past six months is like a spiritual connection, um, with myself and with, that higher power, whatever that means to you. When I say it, like the listeners, whatever that means to you, um, that just gives me so much peace in knowing that I am not having to do this alone. Like there is, there is something, something, someone bigger than me who's helping me and supporting me and wants nothing more than my healing and presence and connection. And I think when we work on that connection, it just becomes so much easier to connect with other people because we start to release those fears and, you know, whatever it is, um, that takes time too. I mean, that took me so long to even feel that connection because I was so disconnected. I was like severed off from it. I didn't know what it would look like, what it could look like, what it needed to look like, you know, based on societal um, examples of what spirituality looks like. It never really made sense to me. So I think doing the, the work with myself helped me to find what that meant for me. Yeah, I think that's really important to connecting with um, what you're talking about is like faith. Faith, yeah. So um, it doesn't matter what you believe in, you know, spiritually, but faith is the foundation of all spirituality. So whatever you trust is guiding you, you, your faith is this undeniable exchange that you have with whatever that is that they're guiding you. You have no doubt in your mind that this is the journey you're supposed to be on, that these are the signs and the symbols that you're receiving because you have this connection in this relationship. And that is important along uh, any kind of healing journey because whatever your source is, is always speaking to you. And it, you're the only one that knows what those, what that language is. Nobody else can tell you what the language is. So that's why it is so important to have that connection with yourself, to know what your language is, that your source also knows the language so that you can communicate. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's like, I mean, it really is a voice, but it's, it doesn't sound different than the voice in my head that we all know what I'm talking about when I say the voices in our head, (laughs) but it's that one that's like, you just know that that's like clear. And I, I remember hearing the voice 
or like connecting with that voice when I was in high school and I got my driver's license and I would not want to put my seatbelt on. And then there's that little voice in my head that's like, you need to put your seatbelt on. And I would ignore it because I was like, no, I don't want to put my seatbelt on. And then I was like, oh, that's like God, like that has to be like God talking to me. <laughs> and yeah. it's like just developed over time. And now it's, it's truly that feeling that I get about something like immediately before my ego comes in and tries to convince me otherwise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that's a whole like podcast episode we can have on. Yeah, for sure. Virtuality. That's my jam. That is my jam. <laughs> um, it's hard not to incorporate it honestly into right, uh, everything yeah. that I talk about, but, um, so I am going to go into some of the sort of like behaviors that we exhibit as, as food addicts. I have a little list here. Um, but you know, like I said before, this is not something that only affects people who are overweight. This can affect people who are actually underweight. If you have a food addiction, your thoughts are being consumed by food in a way that, like I said, it's interfering with your daily life. So if you have like food aversion, this is anorexia where you're like, I can't eat, but it is constantly on your mind and you're not able to be present in the moment and have a a life that's honestly worth living because this is always something that you're having to consider and worry about, I feel that I would still consider that as being addicted to food. Even though you're not consuming it, you still have this aversion and you're doing things to keep yourself from doing that. That's a lot of energy that you're placing on this thing that is not allowing you to be free, you know? Right. I would explain that as you're a slave to food. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So some, I, which we already talked about, um, choosing food over connection, uh, the um, invading thoughts of food, which is what I was just saying. So, you know, if you're waking up in the morning before you even go to bed, what are you going to have for breakfast? Mm-hmm. What are you going to have for lunch while you're eating breakfast? Are you going to have snacks during the day? Do you have, I was never really a snacker, but I was never thinking of anything other than food. Never. I mean, I would say for I would a good couple years, few years, yes. that was the only thing that was on my mind. Maybe a couple other things got crept in there, but really, it was food. Yeah. Um, it is wild. I mean, it just it blows my mind the amount of time I spent. Um, unable to control your food cravings. So obviously, we all have food cravings. We all want like something good, you know, but. If you're like somebody who's on drugs and like, I've got to get this, I have to get this right now. And you're doing things to go out of your way to fulfill this desire that you have for this craving. And it is making you late for work. If it is making you late for, I don't know, anything, anything if yeah. you're um, choosing I don't know, just anything over 
really what you should be doing. You have this one track mind and that's the only thing you can think of until you get that fixed. Because sometimes it can take time, you know, uh, that's something that you need to evaluate and try to, you know, be more mindful of. Feelings of guilt and shame, which we talked about last week, which is a huge one. Yeah. So if we're eating something, just like I was saying, like eating fruit, I was going to feel bad about that. That's not normal. And I realized that's not normal. I can't, that's not what I need to be doing. But this is beyond that. This is also like feeling guilt and shame after any meal that you're eating. And then it's going to go into how are you going to purge it? Or how are you going to, um, you know, combat that guilt and shame? Are you actually going to actively go out and do something? Which I'm not saying that's the answer either. But if that's the feeling that you have, that you have to go and purge this meal that you had, whether that's working out excessively, taking diet pills, taking diuretics or stool softeners. I mean, there's a whole list of things that I know many of us have done to try to purge binges that we've had. That's that cycle that we get in. And then we feel bad about it. And then we eat again. Oh my God. Yeah. That's the cycle. Guilt and shame. I feel guilty and shameful because I'm creating my own trauma. Yeah. And I'm going to now eat again after I just binged 30 minutes ago, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. We also have hiding our isolating ourselves, you know, doing these things where if we want to eat something that, you know, we're not supposed to have and we have to go hide it or we're like eating too many meals a day and we're hiding it or pretending like you're going through a fast food restaurant and you're ordering for your family and really it's all for you, you know? Yeah. Um, these are things that a food addict would be engaging in. So, you know, thinking about this, how many times a day are these things happening or even how many times a week? So, for everybody, it's different. Whenever we talk about binge eating, um, you know, from a professional standpoint, there's different levels of people's use. So we can have, I don't have it in front of me, but you know, there's like a mild, moderate, severe. And so realizing kind of where you at or where you're at on the scale is going to help you identify maybe where you need to start. So, Mm -hmm. or see how far you've come. You know, if you used to binge every day, every meal, and now you just do it less, you're, you're making progress, you know, and that's something to be celebrated. So some of those things are obvious, some maybe not so much, but we also have to understand like cultural expectations we have these unrealistic ideas of food and like I'm saying you know it used to be like no fat we couldn't have fat and so that is 
there's a lot of myths out there about nutrition and about food, even calories, you know, things like that, that we, you know, we're just flooded with this information all the time. And I feel like a lot of us are going to be at this age in our lives where we've seen this progression of how food uh, recommendations have changed so much. And it's like, really, what is the truth? Well, I think the truth is probably whole food, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Let's just eat food that is not processed for the most right. part. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think, I mean, that's really part of the confusion and the social conditioning and part of what ended us up here was never knowing diet or the right things or the wrong things or how many calories or what am I supposed to be avoiding this week? And I think that that develops those addictive behaviors because it's the cycle that we just described. Like, okay, well, I'm being told I need to restrict this so I can look a certain way and then I'm going to restrict and then that's literally not sustainable. So then we binge and then that's the cycle. And then we feel like shit about binging. And when we feel shit and when we feel like shit and we feel stressed and we feel overwhelmed, then we rely on the the food that makes us feel better. And I think that there's so much like freedom and um, shame released for me when I realize like that it's not that I'm broken or there's something wrong with me. It's that I've just been listening to what society tells me I should do or what I should look like. And then that this is how I ended up here. And then, then I can take my power back because I'm like, okay, now I have this information so I can make a different choice or decision. And I agree. Like at the end of the day, if I told anyone what diet to follow, I would say, just remove the ultra processed foods that aren't real food, like real whole foods. And guess what? If you have a history of food addiction, you might even overeat real whole food sometimes, but I think that's a hell of a lot better than overeating the processed junk that makes us feel like shit. (laughs) I agree. You know, I think that's, you know, sort of the second layer of after trauma, then we have these expectations from society, from our parents, some of us, from our friends, some of us, from just bullies, people that we hear or other people's expectations, people that we look up to and how they are. And we don't even know their psychological, you know, conditioning. Yeah. So that's why this is another so com- so much more complex. We have right. so many variables that create our sort of recipe for this addiction and and everyone's is different, you know. Absolutely. So that's why I think diet culture is like oh, it's weight, it's this, it's that, it's what you look like and all these things. And it keeps you sort of focused on that when in reality, it's not, it's part of it. But like you were saying, when you realize like what you are, that you're not broken and that 
You don't need to be fixed. It's easier than to go back to that first layer, to that trauma and realize the real root of where all of this is coming from and that this journey is such a process and it's never going to happen next week or after I lose 20 pounds or whatever it is. It's, um, I almost said it's a lifestyle and I was like, I don't want to say that because that's how so many people sort of talk about a diet, but I guess really once you realize what's working for you, it becomes, it does become your lifestyle and you learn what things you need and what things you don't need to feel good. Yeah. It just becomes how you live your life. So like in the beginning, it's us trying to conform to this mold of what we think we should be, which was like the weight where the weight loss comes in. And then you figure out the behaviors and habits that make you feel good. And like you said, yeah, that becomes your lifestyle. I think having that realization is super important because that's where the sustainable change comes in. So I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to lose weight or having that as a goal. And I know you don't either, but it's like for both of us, when we stopped making that the goal, we were actually able to heal and we still got what we wanted, which was weight loss. And even now, like I've gained some weight back and I'm not even mad about it because I am not a slave to food still anymore. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I definitely don't think about it all day, every day, like I used to, but it really is your own spiritual journey. Like you said, like there's no one right way. There's no specific path. There's no specific way to go about it. But I, I just think the more that people can hear and learn about all of the pieces of it. They're able to, to fit it into how it makes sense for them. Um, And we'll talk about this on the next episode, but it's when we're talking about social conditioning and diet culture, what is (laughs) these industries like are super smart and they know how human brains work and they know that we have trauma. So they they make this food and then they, so they make the food, they know we're going to overeat. And then they sell us on their latest solution, which is the diets and the pills and the programs. So uh, we'll talk about the next week, but that's just like another thing where it's like, oh, okay. Now that I'm aware of that, I don't have to be a product of that system anymore. So that made me think. I agree. Uh, I, I would say that's probably where my journey started. I've been watching documentaries for probably 15 years on food industry, but it's unfortunate that there are professionals out there who go to school for the same thing that I go to school for psychology and they use it for manipulation. It's, that's really hard for me to accept that people do that, but I I don't, I cannot wait to talk about that next week, but I was, I was thinking about whenever, you know, whenever we are doing this and we're binging, think about what you feel like whenever you've just had, you know, a big binge, like maybe, 
not so much. I mean, I always get sick now. Um, but whenever I did this, probably in the beginning, like that sensation that you feel, it's almost like you're trying to hug yourself from the inside out. You get that fullness, you know, that like tightness that you feel after a, after a binge. And it's almost like you're trying to give yourself that, that need that you have, but it's the wrong way. You know what I mean? It needs to come from the outside, but, uh, we're trying, like we're trying, that's coping. You know, we're trying to figure out how to make ourselves not feel so bad. And in that moment that we start doing this, we feel like that's a simple solution. And then, like I said, it sort of escalates. And when it begins to escalate and adding in the cultural expectations and all of these things, we le- I learned this thing called liking versus wanting, okay? How many times have you ate food that you didn't even like just to have the volume or whatever, because it was available and that's what you had, or like, I really don't like candy. I don't like, I I really don't like a lot of junk food and I would eat it just because I'm not supposed to. And I knew that it would, I mean, not that I want to feel shitty, but I knew that it would sort of give me that chemical high, that, that reward system, uh, you know, eventually. Mm-hmm. And so, or how many times have you gone to a fast food? Like maybe you haven't ate fast food in a while and you go and get it. And it's like the worst it's been sitting there forever. It's not even fresh. It's not even good. And you're like, I've been waiting. You know, like I have been abstaining from this and then here I come to get it and it's not even cooked well, or, you know, and you're, no appreciation and (laughs) I like I feel like I was going to call and be like you guys have no idea how long I've been waiting to have this (laughs) no like I've been I've been so mad and I think this is another like sign of addiction when if you can't get the food you want or get it how you want it like you seriously throw a fit or you feel like you'll literally like cut someone to get what you want and that's how and like if they mess up my food in the drive-thru like I turn into this royal raging bitch because I'm just mad that they messed up my stuff yeah so yeah absolutely so like I'm like uh I really truly do love like fresh like home cooked food you know And that's what I grew up on. I didn't, I was, we did not eat fast food growing up and we didn't have a lot of processed anything. My parents made everything from scratch. And so I just, I was never a good cook and I am now, but I was like, I just need convenience, you know? So I would just eat whatever was convenient. And I didn't even ever, I mean, some of it's okay, but after a while you're like, this isn't even that good. Yeah. And so liking versus wanting, I just wanted it. I knew I wasn't supposed to have it. And after I realized that I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And so then it kind of goes into the other thing 
you know, and we've talked about this before a couple of times, um, saving the best bite for last. And I had not thought about that until we had that conversation. And since then, I probably have, I think I can like leave food on my plate whenever I don't have to eat all my food, but before, because I needed all that volume, I would eat all the stuff that I didn't really want that much first to then eat the best bite for last. Like my mom used to say that to me when I was little, because that's what she would do. I'm like, well, that's what I'm going to do. I want to do that. And I couldn't believe how much food I was eating and I didn't even want it. Yep. It's just like simple little things like this that were so that are ingrained in us that were are like unconscious that we do that we don't even know that we're doing. But you know, it's just deconditioning, you know, like removing exactly. all of the ideas and expectations that we are supposed to have surrounding this and finding really what works for you because like I keep saying it's going to be different for every single person not everybody can have the same foods anyway even if they are whole foods that's important too knowing you know and I think that's why doing like the reset that you do Gracie is also so important because we're not able to listen to our bodies when it's full of all of the processed food that we have, because there's just so much bad ingredients and things in that, that really don't allow our bodies and our minds to function the way that it needs to. So when we're able to eliminate all of that from our bodies and then have this reset time, we allow our bodies to start to heal. And then we can start to listen to it a little bit better. It speaks to us easier. It can speak because we're giving it the environment that it can speak. And so then we can start to see when we add foods back in, does this make me feel good? Does it not make me feel good? And identifying which things are going to be good for you. And another thing I thought of the other day is that some food doesn't have to be black and white. Sometimes there's a threshold with food. So, you know, I, like I said, my body doesn't really feel good with a lot of carbs, but there's a threshold to that. I can have carbs. I can have fruit. I can have, you know, whatever I can have bread if I want to have bread, but I, there's a threshold and I have to identify my threshold. So how much can I have in a day or how much can I have at each meal and being able to identify that? That's why this is such a trial and error thing as well, too. We are not going to succeed once we start for the duration. We are going to fail. And that's part of it. We need to fail so that we can find out what we need to keep eliminated from ourselves and what we can incorporate. Yeah. Uh, that's one of my favorite things to talk about. And that's, I think, one of the most um, differentiating things about the conversations we're going to have compared to what other people in the realm of food addiction talk about. Because what I hear discussed a lot is that you can never consume sugar or flour again because you're an addict and you'll never have control over it. And that has not been the case for us. Like, we both are able to consume some sugar sometimes and some flour sometimes. And we're able to 
have that threshold set to where we don't overconsume. Sometimes maybe we do overconsume. And the and the difference is we're not shaming ourselves. We're not feeling like shit about it. We're just choosing to get back to how it was. But that takes the time of abstinence, what I like to call it. I can definitely align with that word in the addiction realm of food addiction because like Sammy said, we don't understand our threshold until we are able to clear out all of the junk from our bodies and from our brains. And then we're able to know, you know, our limits. And for me, I couldn't have any of that for a long time because I would overconsume. It didn't matter. Like if I even tried to have a threshold, I would overconsume. But now I can. And I think that's possible for people because we can heal the wound. Because what's really happening is the wound. It's not the, I think, like neurologically, there's a lot here in regard to addiction based on books I've read. Like our brains really do function differently when we have been actively addicted to something. Um, But science also shows that I read a study on mice when they were abstinent from sugar after they were addicted, their reward pathways started to change and heal and repair after a certain amount of time of abstinence. So, oh my God, this is, this is my favorite part of this conversation. Right. So what you're talking about is like neuroplasticity. And so neuroplasticity is whenever we can um, change the things that are going on in our brain, the chemistry. And so how we can do this, we, we, this is available to us at any time. Our brains are not like concrete. They're not. So some great ways to help with neuroplasticity, meditation. Also feeding your body with healthy food. That is also very important. Um, You can also, yoga is, you know, a lot of spiritual practices, a lot of other religions that are Eastern religions, that's kind of the, that's kind of their, been their goal. Not, I don't think that they always sort of realized it, but they could tell that their mind was so much more clear that their choices were so much better when they were able to have this routine of meditation or routine of yoga, which I mean, yoga is, can be a form of meditation. Um, I personally use my workouts in the gym. I just lift weights and that's sort of how I get my meditation time in. I am very, very conscious and of how I do my workouts and I make sure that what I'm doing is very intentional and I'm in my moment with myself. I'm listening to my body and how it's responding to the movements that I'm making. And I feel that these things allow us to, to get connected, you know, within ourselves a lot easier as well. But we also have, um, you were talking about neuroplasticity, but what else did you, what else did you bring up during that? What else did I bring up? You said well, something else that I was going to touch on. Um, I mean, I was talking about abstinence um, and that we can have sugar and flour. Was that it? 
know. <laughs> it might've been. Yeah. Well, I was going to give you an example. I, I went to a wedding last night and I haven't been to a wedding in a while. And so, you know, that's like a triggering thing. I don't know anybody at this wedding except the bride and the groom. I'm going with my son and we don't know anybody that's going to be there. And that's sort of, you know, anxiety ridden. I don't know who I'm going to sit with or I don't know, whatever. And I had to do hair and make it for the wedding beforehand. So I had made my breakfast like I always do. And then I went up there and it was kind of far from where I live and I had to come back and I had to go back up there. And so it's taking up to my time. One of my triggers is traveling. Like I love to just eat in my car. Mm -hmm. And so I did have that feeling where I'm like, I could stop somewhere and I'm by myself, not with anybody. I could stop somewhere and get some food. And I didn't do it on the way up there. I didn't do it on the way back. And I did have a little bit of snacks because they had this amazing charcuterie board. And then, so I did have a little bit of that, but it was like, I just snacked a little bit while in between doing people's hair. So then, um, so I didn't really get a lunch Yeah. and then I was going to go to the wedding and eat dinner at the wedding. And I didn't know what the menu was. And that's something that sort of is difficult for me. It's not difficult for me now, but, you know, I do not want to fall into that trap, you know? So I, but I just, I was like, it doesn't matter, you know? So then I go to the wedding and I ate food that, I mean, it was like, I did eat, I ate what they had. It wasn't like terrible and it wasn't, you know, wonderful either, but it was sort of balanced. And then they, and I had a cupcake. I didn't finish my cupcake and I had like a big salad and I still had the other food, but like, I didn't feel guilty about it. Right. And I also thought if I had binged or not even just binged, but if I had stopped somewhere before I went to this wedding, I would have had that guilt and shame, like, you know, from the past. I I don't think I would have had it this at this point because I've come so far, but in the past, I would have had stopped somewhere probably both times traveling and then felt like insecure at the wedding and not wanting to con- you know connect with people and hang out with people because I feel like shit because I've been eating fast food on the road yeah and then I'm gonna binge this dinner that they're having at their wedding that's you know amazingly catered and then have cake and then yeah. I'm gonna feel like shit whenever I go home and I'm probably gonna stop somewhere on the way home yeah. especially on the way home <laughs> And so then I go home and I went straight to bed and it felt so good to have all like a lot of triggers yesterday happening and that I didn't fall into the trap of any of them. And even though I indulged in a cupcake that I, like I said, didn't finish. And then the other food that they had this morning when I woke up, I had an omelet, which is my favorite go-to breakfast. And I've had all my water today. I didn't like fall into this trap of, oh, I had, you know, sugar last night. So I'm going to keep going. It wasn't even a thought in my mind that I was going to do that. But in the past, it would have been like that for months, you know? Right. So it's a progression. Yeah. And something I thought of when you said, like, I had the thought when I was in my car alone that I could stop for food. (laughs) Like that happens for me too. Yeah. And every time that we don't stop we're rewiring our brain yes that's the new reward yeah 
Yeah. Like we're retraining. I love, have you read Joe Dispenza's book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself? No. Well, he's but I love like, him. Yeah. He's so good. I recommend that book to everyone. Cause that's like the first book I read that made me realize that I could change my brain. Yeah. And yeah, that's what I thought of. Like every time that we make a difference, we're rewiring our brains. So I think we'll have a whole episode about that too. Like, yeah. Um, just how possible that is. But Sammy, what do you say to people? Cause for me, I am, I post a lot of reels on or TikToks and reels on Facebook. And I have a lot of people telling me that food addiction isn't real. So what would you say to that? That they say food addiction isn't real and it's actually called binge eating disorder. And like, what do you say to that? I don't know. I'm so I think that there's a lot of misconception out there for people who, who have never experienced some of the symptoms that come with food addiction. If you, and I think that's what it is. I think it's just that there, because because you're not experienced in something and you haven't, you know, you don't have that knowledge yourself. It's almost like it's not real to you, which is fine. That's okay. And, and I, I don't want to say I'm jealous of those people, but you're so lucky yeah, that you don't have this as your addiction or I mean, any addiction is difficult to have, but I do, I mean, I've had professors say that, you know, that I, they said binge eating wasn't even, didn't even need to be in the DSM mm-hmm. and it's, it is hard to hear. It's hard to hear, especially whenever you live it and you've lived it every single day and that you've been fighting to understand what this is without anybody else's support. And I know you and I both have experienced that. I think a lot of people, our listeners have experienced that because it is not only do we create our own shame, but then if we say it, like, then you get even more, like you get even more shame about it. And you go to see a professional and they're like, oh, well, have you tried just balancing your macros? Um, yeah, my whole life, actually my whole entire life. And that's why I'm here because I can't do that. And so it's really frustrating whenever you have, it's really hard to hear professionals not take this serious. And I really truly believe that it's just because it's a lot of inexperience with the culture of it. Yeah, that's a really Go ahead. that's a really beautiful answer. Like and it just simplifies all of it and it yeah. and it helps to have compassion and say, oh, like they li- they seriously genuinely think it's not real because they haven't experienced it. And like you said, I'm so glad they haven't yeah. experienced it. So that's just a really great way to look at it. But like you said, it is hard because I hear a lot of people in the community in my community on Facebook say like, you know, I tell people 
that I have food addiction and they laugh at me or they think I'm joking or they tell me that it's not real and that I shouldn't say that. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's just like somebody saying like drug addiction is a choice. Yeah. Man. You know, that's sort of the same mentality where yeah. people think that an addict of drugs can just stop because they can choose to not do it. Mm. And that's just not the case. And we do know through addictive properties of food that it does create these neurotransmitters that affect our limbic system that create this reward circuit. And anything can be an addiction. And I think that because we have this oversimplified version where just calories in, calories out, calorie deficit, you know, whatever, that's a solution for a few people. Yeah. It's a very small few people that have had success with that. Yeah. The rest of us are fighting a different battle. Yeah. That's like the whole a calorie is a calorie. <laughs> like if only because yeah. food addicts eat so much food, yet we're like so malnourished. Typically, if what you're over consuming is ultra processed foods, because they don't have hardly any or no vitamins and minerals, which are what food is supposed to be made up of, which continues the cycle of us needing more and more and more and more food because our body's begging us for nourishment. And that's totally a part of the addiction, right? Because that's not even conscious. It's like your body's just begging for more food because it needs the nourishment and the energy. Um, I had one more question for you that I wanted to ask before we got off. What, like for me, when I connected the dots that it was an addiction, it's like a light bulb went off. And I feel like that's what saved my life by like recognizing it as addiction. What do you think the power is in recognizing it as addiction for people versus any other thing? Like, why is it significant or why was it significant for you to recognize it as addiction and how has it supported you in your healing journey? And how could you see it as being supportive to other people? Um, I think it, for me, honestly, it was a major disappointment at first. Mm. And I think that's why I avoided the acceptance of it being an addiction for as long as I did. Because like you said, I knew about addiction. I knew about addiction from the time I was probably five years old and could remember, mm. um, maybe younger. I've always known about addiction. And so I did everything every day to make sure I never became an addict to drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And it was empowering though, after I was able to accept that it was an addiction, even though it was disappointing, but I was like, oh my gosh, I've been trying my whole life to not end up this way to have something control me. Like I watched so many people that I love be controlled by substances, mm -hmm. but it gave me the compassion 
that I do have for all of the people that I love in my life who struggle with this, with other things, it allowed me to not be so hard on myself and to seek out a different route to heal that I realized this was never about my weight, even though that's what I always thought it was. Mm -hmm. And that honestly, it just steered me in a different direction. The direction that I believe many of us need to sort of go in to be able to identify, you know, why we're doing this, why we're coping, why we're choosing this as our substance. And I think for many of us, I had somebody message me and say, I wonder how many people who are addicted to food had that same idea that their parents were addicts or somebody very close to them was and that they were trying to not be like them, but they ended up with this other substance that's socially acceptable, that you get to hide and, you know, people don't know that you're high on food, you know, you can go eat fast food somewhere and show up and then eat a whole nother meal. And nobody knows you just did that. You can't, you know, go shoot up heroin and then show up to dinner. Everybody's going to know, you know? Wow. So it's, it's so complex. And I think that I know that it's the beginning. And I do think that it is becoming more accepted and that people are studying this at at a professional level. And I hope to be, I do truly hope to be a part of this, to be able to be in the forefront of this movement, because so many people need this healing as opposed to diet culture as their solution you know yeah yeah and the way I see it I think what's for me what's powerful about recognizing addiction because of what you just said that for so long we think that it's a weight problem and that it's a calorie problem And that doesn't lead us to the root cause, which is that wound, which is the trauma. And when you recognize it as addiction, the treatment and then the recovery process and all of that has so much more to do with healing that inner wound than it does with what to eat, what not to eat, when to eat and that type of stuff. Yeah. Because like you said earlier, you know, you mentioned something about just being able to like live and not be, you know, thinking about food all the time. It is amazing to like get stuff done on the weekends instead of binge every moment that you can because you have free time. Yeah. And to be productive, to have your mental space available to think about other things more beneficial things, healthier things, and to not feel that trap, uh, that control that, you know, food can have over you. And I know I said this last week, I never thought I would feel this way in my life. And I'm so thankful that I've been able to experience the freedom from my food addiction. Yeah, me too. 
so thankful and so thankful that we're able to have this conversation and share it with people and to give them hope that recovery is possible and um you know that life after recovery is possible because you do not have to be a slave to restriction to recover from food addiction you can have total freedom in our opinion from food um and whatever way you want that to look like so is there anything else you want to add today sammy today's conversation so I would love to hear, um, you know, what other people think if yeah. there, I know that I, I really try to simplify this as simple as I can, but it is very complex. And I know that we share a lot of our experiences. And so I would love to hear other people's experiences and how theirs, you know, their food addiction has sort of affected their life in ways. And because we are going to have things that we experience now. People are going to have other things that we may not have ever experienced. And uh, to have a holistic idea of how we're all sort of struggling with this is really helpful so that we can help as many people as possible identify, you know, behaviors and strategies to, to heal. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And that is that connection piece, right? Like we're just here to share our perspective, but there's so many different perspectives Mm -hmm. and you got like your voice deserves to be heard. So definitely share with us. It's a safe space um, to share what your experience looks like. And like Sammy said, that's a way, like maybe you've never said it to anyone before. So you can release it, you know, definitely give it to us. If anybody that you could give it to, give it to us because We are like, we are so passionate about sharing this perspective, this journey that we both like, it's not like we've been hanging out the whole time we've been doing this. It's, (laughs) it's interesting that we've been parallel with this and that it just happens to be similar, but I think that's even more validation that we have a different way of handling this and that, you know, possibly, hopefully it can help a lot of other people too. Oh yeah, it will. Absolutely. Okay, guys. Well, that concludes our conversation for today. Thank you so much, Sammy, for holding that space for us and sharing what food addiction looks like. It's such a complex thing. It's not black and white. So you did a beautiful job at sharing what it looks like. And like she said, share with us guys, what it looks like for you next week. We'll be talking more about the chemical side of addiction in regard to what's in our food. And I'll be braving the internet and exposing the food industry in ways that like Sammy said, it kind of sucks to know that these things are happening. And once we know we're able to make informed decisions on the food that we're eating. So Until next time, we are going to sign off and we'll see you guys again soon. Bye. Bye.